Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. With our Bibles open there to Luke chapter 12, we are continuing in a series of messages in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to pick up this morning in verse 22, as I have reminded you, the Lord Jesus in his ministry, as Luke uh, is inspired to write, is is now uh, moved toward the region of Judea as he continues to move toward the cross. And uh, there in uh, Jerusalem, uh, a great deal of his ministry previously was in in, in the region of Galilee, his home region. Um, and uh, we're going to be reading this morning from a text that is, uh, is going to sound very similar to you in some ways to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uh, taught there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and that was in the region of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee. Karen and I have had the opportunity, and I, perhaps some of you, to visit Israel. I was privileged to go there. My brother was missionary there for 30 years in the, with the Palestinians, and we uh, uh, loved going to the Sea of Galilee because they couldn't build a church on top of it. And, uh, and, and it's, I think, the most like it would be. And that's where Jesus taught uh, the Sermon on the Mount on the sea, the edge of Galilee. But this, of course, he's now in the region of Judea. So it's a little different, but he's teaching similar truths that he taught uh, uh, there in, uh, in Galilee. So you'll see some things that sound uh, similar. Uh, we sh- shared with you a few weeks ago that as we began to talk about this, Jesus addressed the religion of the uh, Pharisees, the dead, empty religion of the Pharisees, the legalism uh, and, and, and the greed that was a part of that, the hypocrisy in another message. And so we're going to uh, continue as Jesus is teaching um, his disciples. And we entitled the series of, of in, in, in Luke, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. So we're going to look this morning at Luke chapter 12, and uh, we're going to begin with verse 22. If you're able, would you stand with me once more? We're going to read verses 22 uh, through 34. Uh, Luke 12, 22 through 34. I'm reading from the New King James Translation. He says, Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God then, if then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And from this passage, I'll bring a message entitled, Are You Spending Life or Investing It? Let's pray together. Father, again, we come in the name of Jesus. We're so, Lord, thrilled to be in your presence this morning, but also humble to be in your presence. But we thank you this morning that we serve the risen Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. And we thank you that you have and are giving us and shall give to us the kingdom. Lord, I pray today that you will work today in this place through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, that you will speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would be the kingdom-minded kind of people that you've called us to be. Lord, we, we confess and we, you know, Lord, our hearts that we get caught up in this world. And Lord, it's so easy to become conformed to this world. But Lord, you have called us, Lord, to present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice and not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So today, Father, as we, as we open up the Word of God, and Lord, as we know, uh, we as your children are indwelt by the Spirit of God, the one who teaches us truth, we pray you will teach us these truths. You'll pl- apply them to our hearts, that we will respond in obedience and in repentance where necessary to the Word of God, to our lives, so that we can truly be investors in eternity rather than just those who are just spending life from day to day, living like the world. Oh God, transform us so that we can be a testimony to those around us of what it means to be kingdom people. God, we exalt you, we praise you, and Lord, we know in our midst this morning, we're so grateful that there are those who are among us who don't know Christ, Lord, because we pray that you will awaken their hearts and minds to their need for Christ by the word of God and by the spirit of God that you would reveal to them their need and that you would bring them to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified in our time here together and we look forward to what you're gonna do in changing us and making us more like Christ. We love you, we exalt you, we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. You remember that occasion when Jesus said to Martha, the sister of Mary and Lazarus. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. I confess to you today that there are times when Jesus would rightly say, David, David, you are troubled and worried about many things. Could he say that to you at times? We know Martha chose the good part. We might say more about that in a moment. But many of us could be rightly but shamefully identified as worry warts. You know, that's a sin that we sometimes make excuses for and we try to justify, but nonetheless, it's wrong. Our English word worry comes from the Anglo-Saxon word that means uh, to strangle. And that's what it does. It strangles life and it hinders life in the way God intends it to be. Corey Tim Boone said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And another said, worry is a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And how true that is as well. 
Well, again, having addressed that sin of greed, or also, it's also we saw as covetousness, uh, the Lord Jesus now moves to this sin. He, by the way, addressed that last week as we saw it in that parable of the rich fool. But now he moves to his disciples, as we noticed there uh, in, in 22. He's addressing these words to his disciples, specifically uh, dealing with the sin of worry. And uh, again, uh, we said worry, of course, is a natural response to things of the world. It's a natural response to the things that we can't deal with that we don't know about. We saw, in a sense, that's what the the rich ruler was, uh, the rich uh, fool was doing, rather. And and uh, what am I going to do with all these crops and all these things that have come in? So he had an abundance. Um, and it's a natural response to that or to the lack thereof. What I don't have enough. I don't have enough to get by. I don't have enough money. I don't have food for clothing or I don't or money for clothing. I don't have an, enough to buy the food that we need. And so, again, that's a, a worry, a tendency, but that's the natural response. But we have been transformed by the grace of God. We are no longer the natural man. We are we're empowered by and dwelt by the living God, the Holy Spirit. So we are to, to be different in our response to these things. We are to respond supernaturally by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, by the fruit of the Spirit that, uh, that now is produced through us through the Holy Spirit. And, and worrying about things... Uh, like our food and our clothing and our finances. Again, whether it's worry because uh, we don't seem to have enough or it seems to us we don't, or because we have so much we don't know what to do with it. And to be honest with you, most people in this room probably are in the latter, whether you consider yourself to be wealthy or not. We'll talk about that in a moment. But again, many people just spend their life worrying about things and they just spend life until it is gone rather than investing life as God's people into eternity. And I believe Jesus in this passage tells us again how we are to be kingdom-minded people and how we are, rather than just spending life, we are to invest life in eternity. And I'm going to pray that God will, will cause you today to evaluate your life and to answer that question, am I really, am I just spending life like some people do money? Or am I really investing my life into what's going to last forever? So let me give you a couple of things and several points under each. Uh, first of all, that Jesus is telling us how we can in invest life rather than just spend it. First of all, stop being anxious about your earthly life. Stop being anxious about your earthly life. And again, we, he starts off there when he says, uh, do not worry. And, and again, literally that can be translated, stop being anxious. Uh, again, worry, as we've already said and established, is disobedience. We shouldn't make light of it. We shouldn't laugh about it. We shouldn't treat it like it's no big deal because it's a serious matter. And we should treat it as what it is. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to the Philippians, that wonderful book on joy. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me share with you now uh, from this passage uh, five reasons not to worry as the people of God, not to be anxious as God's people. First of all, there's more to life than, than physical sustenance. 
There's more to life than just physical sustenance, more to life than just eating and drinking, Jesus says, more than just food and, and clothing. There, there's more to life. Now, you notice back in verse 15 in last week's message, the Lord Jesus, as he was dealing with that sin of covetousness, and this is a continuation, really, of those thoughts, uh, he said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Um, you know, I, I always get a little... Uh, Tickled uh, when most young couples that I've had the privilege of of, uh, of doing wedding ceremonies or leading in their marriage ceremony, uh, when uh, when they'll have the vows to one another, uh, you know, take somebody like uh, Karen and me. When we got married, I was uh, I was a fresh I was a senior in in um, in college and uh, and I was working a part time job and we lived in a little garage apartment. And we, we had, we bought all used furniture. So, but in the, and, and I'm sure that could be true of most of us who got married young. When we say those vows, with all my worldly goods, I thee endow. You know, and that, that didn't say in a whole lot, right? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's basically where, when you think about the abundance of things, most of us probably are or, or, or were. And, and, uh, and so again, so Jesus was addressing people now. Unlike that rich fool that he just talked about that had this abundance, these are people he's addressing now as disciples who have so very, very little. Uh, and so, again, remember now, the, these were people that Jesus was addressing. They didn't have an abundance of crop and wealth. The average per, person, including these disciples, may have had only one change of clothing. They didn't have to go to the closet and say, now, I don't, what am I going to wear today? I don't have a thing to wear, you know. You husbands ever heard your wives say that? Uh, don't have a thing to wear. Uh, well, they didn't have that. They had one change of clothing, and their, their coat, their cloak, that was actually, not only was it their cloak uh, or their, to wear over them to keep them warm, but they also used it for their blanket at night. They used it to cover up with. So those are the kind of people Jesus was addressing when he's dealing with this issue of their food and of their clothing. Their food, now remember, they didn't have pantries, to go to, and, and I don't know what I can, or, or, or they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers, so they didn't stand there with the refrigerator open and say, I don't see anything, there's nothing to eat, you know, they didn't have that kind of experience either. It was day to day, food for this day, that's why Jesus taught them and us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, because in, in literally, they depended on God daily to provide what they needed, the daily bread. And of course, that's a, that's a word that also applies to every area of our lives, so depending on God for everything. And that's exactly how we should see this and exactly the way we are to, to, to regard this. Their, their, their primary staple was bread, and they barely had enough food from day to day. And so they had to live in total dependence. But Jesus is teaching us not that, not that those things are not important, not that what we eat is not important to him. That's why he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It is important, and he does care for us. But he's saying that we are not to stress over that. We're not to spend all of our, our time thinking about that and, and, uh, and to be stressed out and anxious over what we're going to eat and, and, and what we're going to, to wear. And, and, and the application to our lives, again, we don't, we don't live that way today. We're blessed abundantly blessed beyond our imagination. We don't even realize 
how blessed we are. So how do we think about that? Well, again, uh, we need to recognize that we are, we should be, uh, we should eat in a healthy way and uh, we should uh, uh, be as healthy as possible. We ought to exercise these bodies and take good care of them. Why? And, 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 and again, as we think about the way we dress, uh, we, should, uh, we should dress in a way that, that doesn't hinder our testimony, that honors God and doesn't uh, draw attention to ourselves. We shouldn't dress uh, for success or dress to, tr- again, attract others or attract the attention to ourselves. We ought to dress in a way to glorify God. Why? Once again, because these bodies belong to God. The Bible says when we came to Christ, repented of our sin, placed our faith in Christ, now we, our bodies, just like we said about our finances and everything, don't belong to us. We are not owners. You relinquished your ownership of yourself and of everything you have and are the moment you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, if in fact you have. You belong to Jesus, lock, stock, and barrel. And that's why some people, and that's why the rich young ruler didn't want to give up his wealth and his life because he wanted to hang on to it. And a lot of people turn away and walk away because they're unwilling to relinquish ownership. But if you, if you know Christ today, you own nothing, including your body. You're just a manager and you are to honor Christ um, with what he has given to you. You're to seek to glorify him through your body. But you're not to be anxious and consumed with those things. And quite frankly, where are people today anxious and consumed in, in America, and most of us? Again, so many in our world today are anxious about the way they look. They're anxious, you know, uh, they gotta get to the gym. Yes, good to be healthy, should exercise, should eat right. But again, it's more about the way we look. And the dressing is uh, clothing are more about the way we look. And the Bible's saying, we're not to be preoccupied, anxious, and consumed with that. And also in relationship to just trusting God to, to meet our need. So again, that's not the gist of life. That, uh, there's more to life than just physical sustenance. But secondly, God, uh, another reason why worrying is so foolish is that God cares for the least of his creation and he cares much more for you. And this is illustrated in two ways here in this passage. There in verse uh, 24, He says, uh, he uses consider the ravens. Now he's already talked about the sparrows and about how they were, how they were sold at such an inexpensive amount of money, half a cent a piece or something like that. And, uh, the ravens were, were worthless. They weren't, nobody would want to buy it. They, they considered the raven to be a very unclean bird. Perhaps Jesus, uh, was pointing one out that was, that were, that were nearby as he spoke about them. But Jesus used them as an illustration to, to, to illustrate God's care for his creation. He said they don't sow. They're not like that rich, uh, farmer I just told you about, that rich fool. They don't sow. They don't reap. Uh, they don't gather into barns like that fella did or like you do. Uh, but, but he said, but yet they, they, they're, they're cared for. And, and, uh, they, they, God did give them the ability to search for food. God did give them the ability to, to build a nest and to care for their young. He did give them that ability as God gives us ability. So God is not teaching here that, hey, just sit around and wait for God to meet your needs. He's given us, he's told us, by the way, back in one of the commandments, not only to, to uh, honor the Sabbath day, but to work for six days. So he's told us that we are to, to labor and, and he's given us that ability, just like he gave the raven that ability. And it's God's way of taking care of them. And Jesus said, you're of much more value than those ravens are. Don't worry. Those ravens don't worry and you shouldn't worry either. 
And so it's, it's, it's wrong because of, uh, and it's illustrated in this way through, through nature. Down in verses 27 and 28, he illustrates his care as he talks about the lilies, uh, as you see there. And the, and the lilies here, again, there, Jesus could very well have been pointing some out right around them there. Basically, these were wild flowers. And again, they weren't valuable. They weren't a valuable uh, flower. But, but, he, but he points out that, again, they, they don't toil, he says. They don't spend. They don't, they don't uh, labor hard to, to, to buy clothing. And, and then they, they don't uh, make clothing spin like spilling, spinning cloth or whatever. They don't have to do any of those things. They don't have the ability to do that. Uh, they do soak up the water and the sun. And, um, uh, and yet their clothing, he says, is more beautiful than Solomon's who, who was dressed in royal finery. So again, ravens and li- lilies are not valuable from a human perspective. And yet the heavenly father even cares about the least of these parts of his creation. And so again, he's using that to illustrate how much more important we are to him And so again, think of how foolish it is that we, as God's children, as born-again children, would worry and stress and be anxious over things. We're to be more like the lilies and and just uh, trust our Heavenly Father. Thirdly, notice in verses 25 and 26, worry accomplishes nothing. And again, he, he says, and, and which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, the word cubit here can, can either be used of size uh, or, or we would say stature uh, as, it, as it's translated here in the New King James or if you have the, uh, the King James Version. Uh, it, it can also, but it can also be used of time and, um, and, and or trans, as it's translated hour in the English Standard Version and some other translations. Both of these are true, obviously, that God, uh, uh, we, we don't have the ability to add to our stature and, 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 uh, and thick sole shoes don't count. Uh, and nor, and by the way, the cubit, the cubit was a, a foot and a half. So, you know, that's a lot. Uh, and, uh, but, the, but again, Jesus is talking here in context about food and clothing, which what do they do? They sustain life. If you eat, you sustain life. And if you, you have clothing to keep you from being sick and, and protecting you, and, uh, and so they can sustain life. So it, so it does seem well in context that it would be relating here uh, to, the, the, uh, to uh, this matter of, of time, adding time to our life. And again, it's also illustrated from the opposite perspective uh, in the rich fool. You see, he thought he had plenty of time, didn't he? He thought, I'm, I'm going to build these barns. I'm going to have more. For, to, and so he was beginning to think about the extension of his life when God said, you fool, and time's up, and he died. And so again, that illustrates to us that we don't, we don't have the ability to add to our life, but he's showing to us that worry does not extend our life. Worry does not give us more time on earth. In fact, the opposite is true. Worry helps to contribute uh, to the uh, demise of our life. Uh, a study conducted um, indicated, just thinking about how little worry accomplishes, that, that it accomplishes nothing, um, for people, a study indicated that people worry 40% of the time over things that never happen. 40% over things that never happen. 30% of what already has happened, over which they can do nothing to change. It's already happened, and you still worry about it. How silly is that? 12% over what other people say. 
10% over health issues that are only made worse by worry, and 8% over the pressing problems of the day. Worry is a waste of time. You know, someone said it's like a, it's, it's like a, a, worry's like a rocking chair, you know. You may be moving, but you're not getting anywhere. And it's just a waste of time. In fact, it's, it does more to damage and to cause harm. That's what Jesus taught, that we're not to worry because it only causes harm. So worry accomplishes nothing. Number four, worry about physical needs is a characteristic of unbelievers. It's a characteristic of unbelievers. Look again at verses 29 and 30. He said, and, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or, or, or have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after. So Jesus said, hey, this is what the nations of the world do. In other words, this is what lost people do, what unbelievers do. It's characteristic of them. And again, he says we're not to seek these things. We're not to make them the primary aim in our life. Just again, whether that's acquiring more material things, just living to get more things, or whether it, even if it's your, you're like the disciples and most of the people were then, that you're just stressing over where the next meal's going to come from or whether how you're going to get the money to pay that bill or, or how you're going to, uh, you know, to have the clothes, that you, whatever it may be. Worrying and stressing over these things, being, being caught up in that and focusing fully on that. He said, that's just like the unbelievers. That's what the nations of the world do. And you are not to be conformed to the world. You're to be a contrast to the world. The world is to see you and see there's something different about you. He said, don't seek these things. And the word seek here, the word zeteo uh, here and, and, is, the word, is the word for seek. And he adds uh, uh, the, the, the prefix epi to it, epizeteo, meaning eagerly and diligently seek. So again, uh, that's what the world does. They eagerly seek after things. And we are to be a contrast to the world. And so again, uh, we, the, what, what, how do we re respond differently? We'll see that in a few moments. But again, as Paul already said, we're to pray about everything. We're to seek Christ about everything. That, that goes even to the purchases that you make. Because again, if you don't own yourself and you don't own your money, you don't have the right to make the choices about what you do with that. You're to seek Christ and seek his direction and his wisdom. And if you need counsel from godly people, the Bible says there's safety in the multitude of counselors. That's where the church family comes in. You know, uh, Karen and I are in a process right now of, of uh, praying about the sale of our house that we still have up in Tipton County. And y'all can pray with us about that and about maybe, and, and hopefully and prayerfully, buying something a little closer by. And because uh, we're renting where we are. Well, you know what? We're seeking counsel among our church family, among our leaders and praying and asking them to give us counsel in that so that we can be godly. And, and, I, and that's the way all of us ought to operate is the family of God. We need to seek counsel and seek God's direction. And again, this includes trusting him to provide work and as well as providing wisdom to use what he gives wisely. So we are to be different from unbelievers in the way we respond to life, in the way we respond to circumstances, situations, the way we handle money, the way we, uh, the way we worry about things. We're to be a contrast so that others can see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives and that God can use that as a tool to create thirst in them to see the God that, and that we'll have the opportunity, as Peter talks about, to be able to give them an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. And, and this is one of the ways that God can use us in doing that. 
Number five, notice that worry, another reason why worry is so foolish, being anxious, worry demonstrates a lack of faith in the Father. Worry demonstrates a lack of faith in the Father. Back in verse 28, Jesus said to his disciples, Oh, you of little faith. Again, let me ask you, apply that. Would Jesus say that to you? You see, worry is a lack of faith. It's it's demonstrating a lack of faith in the Father. And the second part of verse 30, 30, notice he says, your Father knows that you need these things. You know, you're you're acting like you don't even think your Father knows about this. And again, it's, uh, it's communicating one of the following. It's communicating one of the following when we worry and stress and we're anxious about, about things. Here's what it, one of the things it could communicate. We're, we're, basically, we're saying, my heavenly father is not aware of my needs. He, he's not all-knowing. Is that true? Of course that's not true. But you see, when you don't trust God and you're anxious, you're acting like you believe that God doesn't know about your needs. Or you could be saying, well, my father knows about my needs, but he doesn't really care about them. When, you, when we're anxious, when we worry, when we stress, my father knows about my needs, but he doesn't care. Is that true? Absolutely not. We've already talked about how much he cares. And then another one, it could, the false thing it can communicate is my father knows about my needs, but he's not able to meet my needs. Is that true about your father, your heavenly father? Absolutely not. He's, he, he knows, he loves you and cares, and our God is able. He is able, he's more than able to meet that need. And he wants us to trust him with that and believe him for that. So again, just keep in mind that precious verse in Romans eight thirty two that says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, freely give us all things. Psalm 23 begins right off, in, in Psalm, and, and I love the 23rd Psalm. It's, it's a testimony of a satisfied sheep. And from the very beginning, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. It's like the sheep, and that's who we are with the sheep of God's pasture. It's like the sheep are bragging on their shepherd, and it's okay We're not supposed to brag about our accomplishments. That's sin. But you know what? We are supposed to brag on Jesus. Amen? We are supposed to boast in him and in his provision. It's like saying, I have the greatest shepherd of all. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. Look what he's done for me. Look how good he is to me. He takes such good care of me. As the little girl misquoted Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. And so that is to be the testimony. And that's why worry, being anxious, is such a foolish thing. And we should repent of it as the people of God. But, but also, not only should we stop being anxious, but secondly, we should seek the eternal kingdom of God. Stop being anxious about, about earthly things, about the things of this earth, but seek instead the eternal kingdom of God. Beginning there in verse 31. And this is going to, again, sound very similar to Matthew 6, 33. But again, he says here in, in verse 31, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. He's already said, don't seek these things. Don't seek food and clothing. Don't let that be the, the focus 
of your life. Seek the kingdom. Well, how do we seek the kingdom? Well, first of all, we seek the kingdom. Here's how you do it. Make the, king, make the kingdom priorities your priorities. Make the kingdom priorities your own, the priorities of the kingdom of God. Uh, we, we enter the kingdom of God when we repent of our sin, place our faith and trust in Christ. We enter into his kingdom. He's the king and we are subjects in his kingdom. He comes to live in us. He becomes Lord of all. We've already in- indicated that. It, this is Christ's rule in our life. And certainly there's an aspect of the kingdom that is now, that's here. And as God's children, we are in that kingdom. We are kingdom people and we are seeking by the grace of God to expand the kingdom uh, as, we, as people are born again into the family of God and uh, they're born into God's kingdom. And there's an aspect of the kingdom that is still future. But, but again, we, we uh, make the principles and the priorities of his kingdom our own as, as Lord of our life. To seek here, to seek his kingdom means to go after, to strive for, to pursue, to, in, to endeavor to get. It has the idea of a continuous, zealous pursuit of the kingdom of God. That's what God has, has called us to. And we are to zealously pursue the kingdom of God. J.C. Ryle said that when we are seeking the kingdom of God, we give a primary place in our minds to the interest of God's kingdom. When we labor to increase the number of God's subjects or uh, to reach others for the kingdom, and when we strive to maintain God's cause and to advance God's glory in this world. So you see this notion that, that people who are God's people could have, a, have their religious life over here and their secular life over here, their work life over here, their family life over here. That, that's contrary to the Word of God. That's not what Scripture teaches we are to be. We're kingdom people. We're all about His kingdom. Uh, and, and, and we are, the Bible says, our citizenship is already in heaven. We're His. We're just His, amb- and we're His ambassadors here upon this earth as kingdom people. And that's what we are to pursue and to seek with all of our heart and life. So friend, you seek the eternal kingdom of God by making the kingdom priorities your priorities. Would that be said of you? Would that be said of you? Is, if you're, do your neighbors, would your unsafe family members, would your neighbors say that of you? Would those who know you see your life and see that the, pri- the priorities you are seeking are the, are the priorities of the kingdom of God? But secondly, trust the Father to provide all your needs as you focus on the kingdom. Once again, he, he says, we're to, as we seek the kingdom of God, he said, all these things shall be added unto you. Instead of seeking things, instead of seeking uh, uh, the things of this world and, 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 and trying to be worried or anxious about, uh, again, our food or our clothing or any of these things, we are, to, we are to instead trust the Father to meet our needs as we're seeking his kingdom priorities Uh, Trust him to meet our needs. Someone said, worry is taking on responsibility God never intended you to have. You see, it's your responsibility to seek his kingdom, and it's God's responsibility to take care of you and to provide for you. And again, whether that means providing for you through providing a job for you and then giving you wisdom to use what he's given to you, nonetheless, he is providing. Notice in verse 32, he, he says concerning this matter again, do not fear a little flock, 
For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Uh, Again, this is an endearing term, but little flock. Think about sheep. They're already very defenseless. They can not defend themselves. Uh, But then you think about a a little flock. That sounds kind of, sort of sounds uh, rather vulnerable, doesn't it? Because we are. Jesus is saying here again, stop being afraid. Because when we're seeking the kingdom, he says, well, I'll give it to you. He's already promised that. Uh, so so he's, he's promising to, to take care of us, but also he's, he's telling us, again, where our priorities are to be. C.S. Lewis said, our problem is not that we want too much, it's that we're satisfied with too little. Let me repeat that. It's not that we are that we want too much is that we're satisfied with too little. In other words, we're, we're thinking about, boy, I, I sure want that, that new Lexus. Now, if you've got a Lexus, I'm not picking on you. I don't know anybody that does, but there are friends who do. Uh, you know, and, and God says, I want to give you a kingdom. You've know, you got, fo- you got your focus on, boy, I really want that piece of jewelry. And God says, I want to give you the kingdom. Boy, I really want that new house. And God says, I want to give you the kingdom. So your focus is on things, on stuff. And God says, but I want to give you the kingdom. So you see what we mean when we, when he talks about the fact that it's not that we're wanting too much is that we're satisfied with too little. God's offering us something so much greater than what the world can offer us. So much greater. He's greater. He's the treasure. And we're wanting stuff when God is offering to give us the kingdom. He's already given it to us. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God wants us to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Dear friends, we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we're all going to be driving around in big fancy cars, okay? Don't think about the kingdom of this world when we talk about God giving us the things of the kingdom. It's things that matter. It's things that are eternal. It's things that, that unlike that rich fool that died, you're, uh, that you're going to have when you get to heaven, not the things that you're going to leave behind. It's that which is eternal. And Jesus has offered that to us so much greater than what this world has to offer. So trust the Father to provide your needs, and to even give you the kingdom. And then thirdly, give generously and hold things loosely. Jesus then went on to say, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, where no, no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Uh, again, Jesus is saying, sell what you have. And is he commanding everyone to do that? He didn't. There's no evidence in scripture that he told everyone to do that. But, but I believe what Jesus is, is saying to us, again, is we're to renounce the ownership. We, we renounce the ownership. He's the owner. And if he does say to sell it, be ready. Do what he says to do, because you renounce the ownership of that. And then he says, and give generously to those in need. Stephen Cole said, giving generously frees us from greed and puts our focus on God and on eternity. And I would say to you, if you have a problem with, with, uh, with greed and with covetousness, asking God to help you to de- develop a generous spirit like he has is a great way to help you overcome covetousness and, and, uh, and, and greed, is asking God to give you a giving heart. Uh, so that you don't focus on things that you have, but you see yourself as merely a conduit to be used of God to be a blessing to others. Another pastor, Brian Bell, said, maybe this is an excuse clause, excuse me, a no excuse clause for giving. 
you know, will say, I don't have money to give. No problem. Just sell something off. You know, I heard about some, uh, some guys out in, uh, in, a, in another country, a fellow, an American was visiting the country, and he saw a, he saw a, a, a man pulling a plow and someone walking behind it. And he said, what's the, what's the deal there? He said, oh, those two men are, are Christians. Those guys are, are brothers. And he said, you see, our church had a, a financial need, and, and, and so we brought it to the people uh, and said, we need, we need this money. We, and we asked you to pray about what, what, what God would have you to do. And so he said, uh, so they didn't have money to give, but they did have an ox. So this father and this son, so they sold their ox. And now the father's uh, acting like the ox and the son's plowing the field. And the guy said, man, what sacrifice. And the guy, the, the believer said, well, they didn't see it that way. They saw it. They were glad they had an ox to sell. They were glad they had an ox to sell so that they could give. So again, that's what we do when we're talking about being generous and overcoming this issue of worry and stress and greed and covetousness. Uh, it, it's it's uh, being obedient to the Lord and, and, and having that kind of spirit. Because again, folks, remember, we're not really citizens. We're just we're dual citizens, but our real citizenship's in heaven. We're just passing through here. We're sojourners. The Bible refers to us, and that's the kind of attitude. That's the kind of attitude the early church had in Acts two forty five. It says, "And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need." So hold things loosely. Hold things loosely, because again, you're not the owner anyway. You're the manager. Giving, next, number four, giving to God is an investment in eternity. In the latter part of verse uh, 33, again, uh, as we read there, he says, uh, uh, we're, we're to give, we see these things, and, and um, he says, um, he says, uh, buy for, provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where thief uh, uh, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. So he's describing as he did there in Matthew chapter six about laying up treasure in heaven. He's saying, you know, here's something that moth can't get to. A lot of times they're clo- they had exp- one of the ways they made investments was in expensive items of clothing. He said, you know, this is something moth can't destroy. And, uh, and so, and this is money bags that won't wear out. Invested in heaven. We talked about that last week, giving to that which is going to last forever, making an investment in, in the lives of people and in the spread of the word of God that are eternal according to scripture as we invest in, in giving through the local church and to missions that, that, that preach the gospel and make a difference in e- the eternal lives of people. As we said last week, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And then number five, your heart follows your treasure. As you think about seeking the kingdom of God, verse 34, again, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, as we invest in eternity, as we invest in the kingdom of God, that which will last forever, our heart, our emotions, our whole life will be there. So instead of being anxious about things, uh, about, uh, again, food and clothing and finances and the future and our health, instead of being anxious and worrying about things, then, then our heart is, is, our, is where God is. It's where Christ is because he is our treasure, and we invest 
in, in that which is going to last forever. That's what Paul meant in Colossians 3, 1 and 2 when he said, if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So have a heavenly mind. Think about things that are eternal that really make a difference. So I ask you today, where is your treasure? Well, that's where your heart is today. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, Scripture says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The Lord Jesus exemplified this principle more than anyone else. Jesus, as we saw last Sunday, as we used as an illustration, said to that young, rich young ruler as he was uh, giving him the gospel and again testing his heart, he said to him, sell all that you have and, and give it to the poor, follow me. And then he said, and you will have treasure in heaven. So think about what Jesus is offering this rich young man. You do this, you surrender to me, you repent of your sin, you give up your gods, your idols, and you follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And what does the Bible say he did? He, he turned and walked away because he was rich. He was not willing to let go. He was not willing to let go of his idols and his gods. He wanted to continue to serve those things. So in other words, this man was satisfied with too little. He was satisfied with what this earth had to offer, what this earth had to give, that which, which uh, was going to be destroyed, that which was going to be like the rich fool we saw last Sunday that was going to be left behind one day, completely every bit of it he was going to leave behind. He was satisfied with too little. He was satisfied with stuff. Satisfied with stuff. And that's where most people are today. In Matthew 13... Jesus tells a little bitty parable there that has a tremendous message about a, a man who was crossing a field and in crossing the field, he stumbled across a, a treasure there that was hidden. And, um, and so he realized how great this was and wow, this is a tremendous treasure. And so he hid the treasure and he went in and, and the Bible says there he sold everything that he had in order to buy this field. Because in buying the field, he was also gonna be acquiring this great treasure. I'm sure some people thought, maybe even the owner of the field, who obviously didn't know it was there, must have thought, how foolish you are to give everything, to lose everything in order to just buy this field. Seems so worthless. But this man, the Bible says with great joy, because again, he knew that that field was something had a treasure that was worth losing everything for. And Jesus is saying of himself, I am the treasure worth losing everything for. I am the treasure losing, worth losing everything for. Folks, have you come to that realization today? Or are you still seeking stuff? Are you still being occupied and preoccupied with just things, just food and clothing and health and, 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 and bills and, and things and more stuff? Is that where your life is? Or have you come to recognize the treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is worth losing everything for? Again, he became poor that we might become rich through the gospel. 
recognizing that God is God, that he is the creator of this universe and we are all accountable to him. And one day every, everyone is going to uh, acknowledge him and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, whether as Lord and judge or Lord and Savior. Where are you today? Jesus came and he gave his life for us on, on Calvary's cross because of our sin. Because you see, we're sinners separated from a holy God. And, and if we die in that state, scripture says we'll go out into eternity and be separated from him forever and ever and ever in a terrible place called hell. That is our condition and that is what we deserve. But the good news of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus came, God, fully God, fully man. And the Bible says that on that cross, he bore our sins in his body on that cross, that he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we respond to the risen Lord Jesus, now who died for us, who was buried and who rose again. And we respond to him by repenting, turning from our sin, placing our faith in him and him alone, to save us, surrendering our life to him as our Lord. Has that happened in your life today? Have you come to the recognition that life is more than stuff and it's more than just spending, that you can invest your life in Christ? As scripture says, you can lose your life in Christ that you might find it in him. Has that happened in your life? If not, my prayer for you is that that will happen today. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.